Welcome to episode number 99 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host. My name is Marcelo Mistrosa, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be discussing Fringe Season 2, Episodes 19 and 20. The first episode up in that batch is the episode entitled Brown Betty. So, Matt, I have a question. Do you have a heart? I don't. And I'll tell you why. In a 22-episode season, I understand that TV is hard to make. And sometimes writers, cast, and crew get bored. And they want to do something fun. And unfortunately for us, in 2001, Joss Whedon decided that he was going to make a musical episode of Buffy once more with feeling that broke from formula and did something weird and unique. And it was terrific. It was one of the best episodes of television anyone had ever seen. Incredible. But ever since that episode aired, so many shows have tried to do these bottle episodes that try to be some sort of fun, playful, creative thing. Fringe does that with Brown Betty being Walter gets so high that he then tells Ella this fantastical story about an alternate universe that's very film noir 1920s and i could not have given a shit any less about any of it and i thought with only this many episodes left why do i care about this and most recently it comes to mind lucifer did an episode very similar to this in one of their final seasons and i'm like why are you doing this to me I just want the stories that I care about. So did the cast and crew have a great time making Brown Betty? Probably. Did I have fun watching some of the scenes? A little bit. But do I have a heart and love this episode? Absolutely not. Marcelo, do you like this one or what? I like this one in concept because as you know, I like episodes where writers put characters into an enclosed little box. I mean, those characters for most of the story don't move. I did like the story that Walter was telling throughout this episode. But the thing that I liked about it the most is the noir aspect of it and the way that the uh, they infused old uh, 1950s technology with modern cell phones. So I did like that, but I, I do see how an episode this late in the season really doesn't fit. I mean, we've been headed towards a Titanic event and we sort of hit the iceberg last week. And of all the things that we could have gotten, we've got this, a 1950s noir story. Like, um, why? In concept, this is a really interesting way to sort of view Walter's grief and sort of see how Walter's mind works. So if you put this episode into the context of this being a giant Walter fever dream, that could work. But I could see how someone like you couldn't like it. And the singing aspect of it, I was like, why? Just why? If you're going to if you're going to do singing, do singing, but don't do singing half halfway don't half-ass it they went for it a little bit but not fully committed so in summation i don't know how i felt about this episode this episode was just kind of like flat for me it didn't it didn't anger me as much as it clearly angered you well and i wouldn't say i was angered and i would also just stress that generally i don't like when tv shows take these 
weird what if detours. But also, I really think that if they had done a noir semi-musical inspired episode of Fringe at episode 10 of the season, I would have been fine with it. And I would have been like, oh, we're having fun. We're doing like a fun detour. Not a problem. But episode 19, just after Peter has discovered the truth, and all we want is to know how Peter is dealing with this, how Walter is going to deal with this. Obviously, this whole fever dream is Walter's side of him, his mind racing and his heart being gone and all of that. But I don't want that for a 45-minute episode where I could get all that information in a five-minute scene and then we could do something cool to find out how we're advancing the universe war, the shapeshifters, Newton. So much stuff is on the table that to hit pause right now even if thematically we haven't hit pause because we're still exploring all the same emotional character themes that carried over from the last episode, but everything else we hit pause for an entire episode when we only have four episodes left of the season. That's the part that just is a real head scratcher to me. So I think if its placement had come earlier, I wouldn't have been bothered by it. And also, moments like the singing corpses, Fringe does do wacky stuff sometimes, but that felt like a Buffy lift. That felt like a they got the mustard out moment. So I'm just, everything, every TV show that ever does anything similar to this will always be compared to Once More with Feeling. Even the good ones, like the Scrubs musical episode or other things that do like a fun teacher, they never are as good as the Buffy one. So it's always like, if you're not going to do a slam dunk, don't just do a weak layup. If you got a wide open net, friggin' go for it or don't bother. So that's that's just where I sit. And I don't want everybody to get too upset because there are fun scenes. And I like seeing Olivia dressed up as like a, you know, noir detective with a little bit of Rachel as the femme fatale. Like I, this is kind of fun. It's just all about placement. This episode reminded me of the Felicity episode, the Felicity black and white episode. You love that episode. And I'm like, I would, I would, when we covered it way back when, I was like, what the holy fuck is this? The only reason I like that one is because it goes so in on the being an episode of the Twilight Zone rather than it like it barely is an episode of Felicity, but it's 100% an episode of the Twilight Zone that I dig it when you get that committed. But like I said, sometimes you could just feel them like stepping up to the line and being afraid to just totally cross into going complete 100 with the singing and the noir of this. They just kept edging back a little bit. And while the steampunk aspect of, you know, the cool glass heart and some of the weird devices and seeing the alternate massive dynamic and stuff is fun. But again, it's just when we only have so few episodes left. And we've just had a huge episode. I start to get frustrated when we see this pattern of Fringe has a huge mythology episode. They give us some gems. The next episode is always wheel spinning. We are always just kicking that ball further down the court. And I'm like, this should all be fire. And you're just giving me a little bit of kindling. The one thing I liked about this episode, I, I mean, one element that I liked about this episode is I liked the the prosthetics that they put on Peter, because for those of you who don't know, this episode is takes place where Olivia is a gumshoe and she has to track down Peter, essentially. And Peter, for some reason, 
was born without a heart and he has this electronic heart. So so I did like the prosthetic work in this episode and I did like how thematically this episode sort of took from our main story and sort of hinted at that no matter what an individual has done to somebody and you know in this instance what Walter has done to Peter forgiveness is possible but again the the execution of this episode wasn't particularly done that well like i would have much preferred this episode to be way earlier in the season yeah well it, it's funny cuz you know as much as i claim it's wheel spinning and you are right that there are there are themes that carry over cuz part of the plot is that the reason that peter has taken this heart and run away is because he found out that he thought Walter was a good guy. And then he realized that he was replacing children's dreams with nightmares. This is written by like all the heavy hitters, Wyman, Pinkman, Goldsman, like the, it's a four writer team and it's like all the fringe heavy hitters. But then the fact that literally only the opening where before we go into the story and the final scene are again, the ones that really carry the weight of what I care about. So I like that Walter gets stoned off his ass because he's so upset about Peter being gone. I think that's great. I don't necessarily care that Olivia's babysitting Ella and hands her off to Astrid and is like, can you just take care of her? I'm going to fuck off for a while. Like, okay, Aunt Liv, thanks for coming out. But then the end, after the story has been told and we're done all of that, we see Walter going home, looking kind of frail and exhausted from this emotional roller coaster he's been on while stoned off his gourd. And the observer is watching from outside. And the observer is looking very serious, as they always do. And he says, I am concerned. And like, obviously, he's talking to someone on the other end who is saying, like, stuff is not going as we thought it was gonna, or like, weird stuff is starting to escalate. So the fact that we do throw that nugget in, that the observer is getting worried that whatever they thought was going to happen in this Walter Bishop being a key figure is not going the way that we kind of want. So what are you thinking, Marcelo, after we're done all the Brown Betty gumshoe singing detective crap, we get this scene with the Observer very worried about how things are playing out. I'm very curious to see how that works because last week, I wasn't really pleased with the storytelling that was being told. So I'm very, very curious how Peter plays into the larger picture and what may happen because Peter has essentially said, you know, I'm from another, I'm from another universe. My dad lied to me and I'm just going to go and, you know, I'm just going to go and find myself. And that plays into the last episode that we're going to talk about this week, an episode entitled North West Passage. Matt, would you like a mixtape? Absolutely. I thought that was really ch charming that in 2010 when this episode aired, a mix CD was like a normal thing. And now people would just be like, what? <laughs> like, uh, send me a playlist. Just email it to me. But Northwest Passage, guys, is much more of the shit that I want right now. This episode brought everything where if we have to, obviously, it almost feels like because Peter was barely in Brown Betty, it's because he was off filming this episode. And so everybody who had the heavy lifting in Brown Betty doesn't really appear very much in this. You know, there's a phone call with Broyles. We get like a little a little snippet here and there of everyone else. But this is a Peter-centric episode. 
And it's a mystery of the week, Peter-centric episode, but it's a mystery of the week that because Peter catches a glimpse of Newton and the way that these people are being murdered so echoes the shapeshifters that it all ties in. So even though it is actually, and spoiler alert for later, it ends up being not explicitly tied exactly to Newton in those moments. The guy who's murdering isn't Newton, which we kind of thought that it might be. But even though that is the case, I don't feel slighted because all of the themes of this and the way that the murders are happening has me invested because I feel like it's part of the overarching thing, even though it is a self-contained small town mystery. Also, being a giant 80s movie fan, you give me Martha Plimpton, I'm in. I'm like, hell yeah, let's let's do this. Goonies never say die. Come on, I'm always going to be ride or die for a Goonie. So Martha Plimpton, as Peter's basically partner this whole episode, was really nice to see. And I just love that we spend time with Peter to figure out how he's going to deal with this new information that he has about who he is and where he's from. And he doesn't even know how he's going to process it. So he's trying to find it. And even when he's in the diner and he has that nice flirtation with that young lady and she's like, where are you going? And he's like, I don't even know. Where are you from? Somewhere you've never heard of. So like he he's not just being cute to to try and get with this girl. He literally doesn't know like he he doesn't know where he's going. And now that he knows where he's from, he has so many questions about himself that he doesn't know how to sort through them and deal with them. And I like seeing him in this weird state that we don't normally see Peter being unsure. And then also, as the episode goes on. You know, there's a moment where Martha Plimpton says, uh, that pause you just took was you questioning your own sanity. And he's like, no, 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 it wasn't. But it kind of was. So, Marcella, what are you thinking as we get this very Peter-centric episode where, you know, Vancouver stands in for Washington State, which is its neighbor. So it makes sense as Peter investigates in this Northwest Passage. I really like the sense of the sense of paranoia that. Peter feels in this episode because as he's helping this detective track the person who's committing all these murders, you know, Peter alludes to there being, you know, something bigger out there. And we find out early in the episode that this sheriff is someone who reads, you know, alien novels. So we find out that this person, that this sheriff character is someone who may believe in you know, little green men. So I like the fact that as the story is being told, we see Peter a couple times in the episode see Newton. And I was really questioning, is this real or is he having them or, or is he having some sort of psychotic break at the specific moment when he would see Newton and this other individual? Like I like for some reason, my brain couldn't rationalize that hey, this has to be real. The other thing that kind of ticked me off just a little bit, when Peter initially gets arrested by this sheriff uh, who, who questions him after he shows back up to the diner to get the CD from this waitress who sadly dies, you know, you know, in the opening sequence of this episode before the credits, when he's being taken back to the station and he finds out that this victim that the sheriff is looking at has a piece of her brain missing. The way that Peter finds that out is that is being related over the radio. And I'm, I'm like, guys, you couldn't have figured out a better way to do that. That was like the laziest way to do exposition 
in my mind. Now, I'm nitpicking, but I would have done that a little bit differently. And the other thing is that I don't like how Peter sort of just offers his assistance and expects this sheriff to believe everything that he is saying. So I'm like, okay, if you want to help out the sheriff, good. But I would have perhaps written the episode in a different way to make Peter look not so insane in some sequences. They do make him look a little bit insane and a little bit cocky. They do try and shortcut it by, you know, Mathis doesn't necessarily believe him, but she is a bit of a Fox Mulder who wants to believe. So when he starts saying this crazy stuff, she she is inclined to want to believe it. And they do call Broyles to check his story to make sure that this guy's on the level. And I was mad when, you know, Broyles promises not to reveal where Peter is. And you're like, come on, Broyles, just tell Peter that, but then go and run and tell them, like, we have him, don't worry, we know where he is. So that was a little bit frustrating. And I think that a lot of it was just narrative shortcuts that needed to be taken so that this episode could could move along. But I did like that, you know, as he is hanging out and he starts to get these flashes of Newton at the crime scenes and in the forest and his paranoia is ramping up. We aren't sure if this is a hallucination, if Newton and the shapeshifters are actually there. Or the only other thing I was wondering is that in this episode, Walter realizes that he can maybe make a device that will be able to locate Peter because it's going to tune into the frequency of items from the other side. So he starts making this glimmer detector. And I thought, is Newton and the shapeshifters have some sort of technology that allows them to mentally project to people on that same wavelength? So like, if they aren't there, are they actually projecting to Peter because he's from the other universe? So I wondered if there was some technology that we are not aware of that they were using to track where he was. And when they did that, he could also kind of see them for a second. So that was part of what I was wondering as the Walter stuff was unfolding. That's a really good theory. But if if they truly are not there, why do they need the brain pieces from these victims? But with that being said, we do find out as the episode goes on that the, the person who is murdering these young girls is not connected to Newton and somebody else who pops up at the very, 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 very end of the episode where it makes you go, oh, shit. Okay, this is what I've wanted for forever now. Come on, you know? They didn't take the brain pieces, though. That was just the guy who killed them. So if the writers of this episode found some way to sort of convince the audience that Newton and this other individual needed these brain pieces to track Peter and then end up in the hotel room where you get the big reveal, that that would have worked better from a narrative standpoint. The other thing that I liked about this episode, it's a, it's a really small scene where Walter is in a supermarket and he is shopping for something. I think it's cake mix or whatever. And he takes a he takes an item off the shelf. He looks at it and then he starts to lose his mind over something that's in the cake mix that he just buys and he broke he breaks down and then the next scene is Astrid and Olivia taking him back to his house and we discover that Walter's running out of food. And Walter says, I just want to prove that I can live on my own in case Peter doesn't want to come back, right? And he he basically says, I'm scared of going back to St. Clair. And that really connected with me because as as a disabled individual, as you guys know, there's been many 
instances in my life where I've wondered what will happen to me if certain per if certain individuals from my life are removed. Will I be able to stand on my own two feet? Will I be able to live the type of life that I've been accustomed to? So so uh, that scene sort of triggered all these floods of emotions in my head. That is definitely valid and adds some emotional weight to it. I think that the best, obviously the, the cool ending of this episode is that this whole time where Peter has been unsure if these Newton flashes are real or paranoia, they have they do know where he is and they do catch up to him in actuality by the end of the episode. So we aren't sure if they were tracking him or, or what was going on or if they always kind of were able to know where he was, but they do show up. Newton is there and he says, come on in, Mr. Secretary. And as Mr. Secretary emerges from the darkness, it is revealed that it is alternate universe Walter, who will be known as Walternate. We've mentioned it a few times. And I think that that moment, if you haven't been like rewatching the first time you see this, you're like, oh my God, oh my God. But even when you're rewatching it, you're like, finally, this guy's here. Like, all right, the consequences of Walter Bishop's actions are finally starting to rear their head here. As we see that we've done so much to bring a person from the other side over. The shapeshifters accomplished it a few weeks ago. And now we find out it is Walternate who they were trying to bring over. He is one of the key players in this war. Marcella, what are you thinking as Walternate steps out of the shadows? I am like, hell yeah, here we go. <laughs> now it's going to get really good because that's going to lead to this. That's going to lead to this. It's going to get really, really good now. So I am really happy that the shift is now happening. And in this season, the dominoes are sort of headed downhill. But I'm really wondering, is Peter going to question? Of course, he's going to question Walternet. But is he going to go with him willingly? Or is he going to put up a fight? So in my mind, I'm wondering, how curious is Peter of where he comes from? We are watching, you know, Fringe. So it's safe to say that Peter is going to have some questions. But because of the narrative of the story, he's going to go with him. So I'm very, very interested to see where this is all leading to and where we could be going here in the coming weeks. Yeah, definitely a lot of interesting stuff is laid out as we head into the finale. And the thing that I'm always wondering, especially in this moment where, you know, he's like, hello, son. And Peter's like, oh, my God, it's my real dad. Does Walternate know why Walter took Peter? Obviously, Peter is still alive. So he didn't die. So Walternate, yes, his son was stolen, but his son was going to die if he didn't find the cure. So obviously this Walter, having noticed that Walternate found the cure and didn't didn't do it, is he going to be all fire and brimstone anger because his son was taken from him? Or is there going to be some sort of rational side that's going to realize if he had kept his son, he probably would have died? Our Walter is actually the only reason that this Peter is still alive. Because he was able to synthesize the cure that Walternate had dismissed. So that's part of part of what's running in my mind is I'm wondering, is Fringe going to address how much Walternate knows? And if that truth comes out, will that sway Walternate in any way? Or is it too much? Just like Peter, he doesn't want to hear any rationalization or truth. Even if both Walters were in a room together, would they not be able to hash out what actually happened and see both sides of it that's an interesting theory that you bring up about how much walternet knows because if walternet knew 
about our Walter, don't you think that he? I mean, we don't know Walter Ned from a from a from a banana right now, but I beg to assume that if Walter Ned knew that our Walter did what he did, he would go and try and assassinate that individual. But if he did that, what consequences would that have on the greater universe? Like Walter Ned kills our Walter. Could two different Walters exist on one solitary plane? Right. These are questions that we don't know the answers to. I was so down on Brown Betty and I was so up on this one, even though it was mystery of the week. But part of it, I think, is kind of the obviously being taking place in Washington State. There were huge X-Files vibes, but also Twin Peaks vibes of this weird FBI agent who has to team up with a local sheriff and Peter's having pie at the beginning in a diner. So I love all of that. And I just want to shout out that this episode had a guest composer as a lifelong Pearl Jam fan. Mike McCready, the guitarist from Pearl Jam, actually did the score for this episode because they had wanted to use a Pearl Jam song. And he said, well, don't just use one of our songs. How about I step in and do the music? And they were like, well, yeah, this whole episode's got like a a Washington State vibe and Pearl Jam being from Seattle. I thought that was really interesting. Having a little bit of a different score gave this whole episode a different flavor than some of our other Fringe episodes. And that really stood out to me. And then when the credit came up, I was like, oh, my God, it was Pearl Jam. So I just wanted to shout out that this is one of the rare episodes that Fringe actually allowed a guest composer to come in and do some work on. All right, guys. And on that note, I think that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, guys, if you like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us, there are a couple ways that you can do that. First, you can just reach out to us on Twitter by just simply using the hashtag Radio 815, or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter account. It's JJUniverse815. If you want to talk to me personally, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? On Twitter at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So until next week where we could be popping some champagne for some mysterious reason. I don't know why. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.